we'll, we'll be uh, we're, we're dividing this uh, this this song into uh, into three parts, and uh, we'll, we're in the, the middle section here today, verses twenty one through thirty one. So either just listen or read along to this portion of God's word. This is Second Samuel twenty two. 21 through 31. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not acted wickedly against my God. For all his ordinances were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless toward him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness before his eyes. With the kind you show yourself kind, with the blameless you show yourself blameless, with the pure you show yourself pure, and with the perverted you show yourself astute. And you save an afflicted people, but your eyes are on the haughty whom you abase. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord illumines my darkness. For by you I can run over a troop, by my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all. Who take refuge in him. There are uh, a number of, of psalms in the Psalter uh, that, uh, that speak of the Messiah. Uh, there are ones that particularly come to mind. Uh, maybe if you were asked to identify off the top of your head some messianic psalms, you might say Psalm or Psalm 110 or, or Psalm 22. And uh, we, we're probably more familiar with, uh, with the Psalter and, and the Psalms than most, uh, most evangelicals because we sing them. Uh, but this Psalm uh, may not be one, uh, this Psalm actually being uh, Psalm 18, it may not be one that, uh, that comes to mind immediately, but certainly it is among the Messianic Psalms. So as we read uh, this chapter, which, uh, which again is, is uh, almost, almost without change, a few minor things made into Psalm 18 in the Psalter, we learn about David. But more than that, we learn about the Messiah. We learn about Jesus. In today's passage, uh, we're, we're, it's stressed that, that uh, the, uh, the author here is without sin, and his hands are clean, and, and he has always kept God's law. And so, this points us uh, past David, and it points us to his greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and how he, as king, is the sinless and, and flawless one who gave himself to redeem us from our sins. And so we'll see a lot of uh, Jesus Christ here as we work our way through today's passage. First, uh, David's claim in verses 21 through 25. Now last week we, we looked at the first 20 verses of this chapter. 
And we noted that uh, chapter 22 is a song that David writes near the end of his life. And uh, as I said earlier, it's, uh, it's transferred almost without change in, in, as Psalm 18 in the Psalter. And David looks back on the Lord's greatness and power as he brought David through many uh, dangers and difficult times over the span of his life. And uh, the Lord did that by His grace and power. We saw how uh, we can uh, relate to David's difficulties and hardships. In the first 20 verses. And yet, the ultimate... ...and not even in our lives but ultimately in the life of, of Jesus the Messiah, who became one of us, who, who suffered for us, who saved us from our sins by His sacrifice, and who brings us into His kingdom. God has miraculously brought us, uh, and set, got us into His kingdom and saved us by His grace as the Father chose us and, and delights in us as he delights in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And in today's verses, we continue our look at the song by seeing how David's claims of righteousness are fulfilled only fully in Jesus Christ, who was righteous for David and for us. Jesus is the righteous King who, who saves us by his perfect righteousness imputed to us. In our salvation, He enables us as well to grow in our actual righteousness to His glory. As we begin with, with uh, this, uh, this portion of the song, uh, we, we look at David's claims of righteousness in verses 21 through 25. Uh, we noted last week in dealing with verse 20 uh, that the Lord saved David from his enemies because He delighted in David. Uh, we saw from Ephesians 1 how this points, up, points us to, to the Father's choosing of us and His saving of us in the person and work of Jesus, the beloved of the Father, by His grace alone. We saw there in Ephesians 1 these words, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the the glory of His grace. Which he freely bestowed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. We are the objects of his saving grace and love, and we enjoy the blessings of his rescue of our lives from our sins and from the dominion of the devil. But as we read David's statements in verses 21 through 25, we're struck by how these claims don't line up with all that we know about David, especially as we come to uh, this, uh, I don't know how long we've been in it, well over a year review of his life. He claims that the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness and has rewarded him according to the cleanness of my it goes on in, in 23 through 24 to say that he has kept the ways of the Lord, uh, not acted wickedly against his God. 
that he has not departed from God's laws and has been blameless and has kept his integrity. As we look back on David's life, we certainly can see someone who has sought to honor the Lord with how he's lived, and he has pursued godliness. Uh, the Lord calls him a man after my own heart in, in 1 Samuel 13. And David writes in, in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O man. Your law is within my heart. And so we don't want to slam David here too much because he is uh, striving to be a godly man over the course of his life and is largely successful in that by God's grace and power. And he knew himself to be a sinner. Like all of the rest of us, he wrote in Psalm 51, verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And in Psalm 32, he confessed his sinful acts and repented and knew the Lord's forgiveness. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So David admits, and we have witness in Scripture, that he is not perfect. His hands are not clean. righteousness and obedience here? What are we to make of his claims in 21 and 25 that the Lord was rescued from his enemies? Well, we note that as with several of David's psalms, there is a greater fulfillment far beyond what David experienced. And it is fulfilled ultimately in the promised Messiah of Jesus Christ. Our friend Gordon Ketty writes, This song arises from David's personal experience and in the spirit of prophecy about the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. The true meaning is in the person and work of Christ. Psalm, including David's claims, point us to Christ. David, like us, is a fallen and sinful person, and he was not fully able to obey God's law. And that's a reminder for us as well that we sin daily in thought and word and deed. We're reminded in Psalm 53, God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them is turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. And even believers sin. As John writes to believers in 1 John 1, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. Paul quotes Psalm 53 in, in Romans 3 and comments that when our lives are judged against God's law, we are all shown to be guilty sinners. 
We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet, there is one person in all of history who is the exception. He is the eternal God the Son who became also fully man, born without original sin, and who lived a perfectly sinless and obedient life. And his name is Jesus. The angel tells Mary in Luke 1, verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. He was born without original sin and he was sinless all his life, doing what Adam and all of us failed to do. In John 8, 46, Jesus challenges those who, who opposed him and who rejected him by saying, which one of you convicts me of sin? And none of them could truthfully point to any sin in him. Because he was sinless. When he was tempted by the devil, as recorded in Matthew 4, he refused the temptations and he retained his sinless obedience. It is by his perfect righteousness gained as a being who fully obeyed God's laws that believing sinners are saved. Now, those who trust in Jesus are justified by God in his courtroom. By the covering of Jesus' righteousness. And this righteousness has always been the basis of salvation. Way back in Genesis 15, Abraham trusted in the Lord and His promises. And he was counted as righteousness with a righteousness that was not his. Genesis 15 and 6 says, Then Abraham believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. In Old Testament worship, this, this holiness, this righteousness was pictured by the, the, by the animals that, be, that were being sacrificed were to be without defect. And the, the priests who, who did the sacrifice were, were to wear perfectly clean robes. Leviticus 1 says... If his offering is from the flock, he shall offer a male without defect. And Exodus 28, uh, 2 and 3 say, You shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty, that he may minister as a priest to me. And in fact, all believers are told in Psalm 96, Worship the Lord in holy attire. The righteousness pictured in, in holy and clean robes and in a lamb without defect would later be gained by Jesus as the sacrifice and as our great high priest. He also went to the cross for us and there took upon himself the wrath of God due to us for our sins as our substitute. This was pictured in the Old Testament sacrifices. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you 
on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the, the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement, we're told in Leviticus 17 and 11. And this was fulfilled in Jesus. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 and 19, You were redeemed with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 4, For not for Abraham's sake only was it written that righteousness was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so our verses 21 through 25 point us past David to Jesus and His perfect righteousness and our acceptance by God, by His grace alone, in Jesus' righteousness that covers us. And yet with that said, there is also a recognition in these verses of, of who we are as believers in, in the Holy Spirit's work in us to bear fruit in us as we grow in, in godliness by God's grace. David's overall life was one of godliness and obedience. Now, the Lord's grace had been at work in him and it showed in his character and in his love and in his devotion for the Lord. Commentator Dale Ralph Davis writes of, of David's statements in our verses 21 through 25, David claims a general overall fidelity uh, to Yahweh. He claims wholeheartedness in his life's commitment. Now David was not perfect, but his life showed evidence of the Spirit's sanctifying work in him. Now, when he sinned, he was deeply repentant and he turned to the Lord for forgiveness. And the same is true for all of those who are in the Lord. In the New Testament, believers are often referred to as saints, uh, which in the Greek means holy ones. For example, Philippians 1.1, uh, uh, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Now, we, are, we are declared holy, declared to be saints, by our relationship with Jesus Christ and the, and the covering of His righteousness, and we are saints who have been set apart and born again and are being transfer, or transformed rather into a people who are growing in actual holiness in our lives. God the Holy Spirit indwells us and, and He bears fruit of righteousness in us. We're promised in Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And Galatians 5 says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. By, by his power, we are being changed and are able to change. We are able to refuse sinful thoughts and words and actions and replace them with godliness as we make progress in holiness 
over the course of our lives here. It is in this strength that we're, we're, we're told in Ephesians 4, lay aside the in accordance with the lust of deceit and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So when we, we see David's claims of righteousness, he and, and we, and not only claim Jesus' righteousness covering us, but also, secondarily, the grace-empowered righteousness and obedience that we have in our walk with the Lord as He is growing us. Well, second... Uh, the perfect standard and our perfect Savior in verses 26 through 28. In verses 26 through 28, we have a series of statements which are made to God. And again, these can only be fully fulfilled in the Messiah and to those in union with Him by trusting faith. We're told here that the Lord God is uh, kind to the kind and blameless to the blameless and pure to the pure. But to those who are perverted and crooked, God is astute. Uh, a word meaning that, that He can actually, act, accurately judge one's character and to see that perfectly. God saves the afflicted, we're told here as well, but brings down the haughty or proud. Now, we might like to think of ourselves as, as kind and blameless and pure. And by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we have, we have evidence of that in our lives. But we are far from perfect. We do not merit anything from God by our, our living out of what He's doing in us. And neither does David as he writes this psalm. Reminds me of uh, something, if you ask uh, Ed often how he's doing, he will often reply, better than I deserve, which is very true of all of us. But David is not writing that here. <laughs> he's saying he's getting what he deserves and that he's pure and blameless. Again, we, we scratch our heads, as Marlon said earlier, and how can, how can that be true? Well, it's true because of his greater son, Jesus Christ. And he is speaking these words in the psalm. Jesus Christ is all of those things perfectly. He was perfectly kind, and perfectly blameless, and perfectly pure. And God the Father showed his approval by raising him from the dead, an accepted and sinless sacrifice for us. And the mediator of sinners who trust in him. Hebrews 7 reminds us that in Jesus we have a high priest, holy, un, undefiled, innocent, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. It is the proud who wrongly think of themselves, by contrast, good enough to gain God's favor and eternal life. Because left to our own God, God, goodness or godliness, uh, we are lost and will know only judgment. By God's grace, we have been convicted of our sins and are pure and blameless 
kind for us. And by God's grace, he has been all those things, and we're covered in his goodness. Next, we're told in verse 28, you, have, you save an afflicted people. Now, God's people around the world and down through history have often been afflicted. But this points us again, not just to David's afflictions or, or our afflictions, but to Christ's afflictions. Jesus Christ suffered for us to bring us reconciliation with God. And so when we suffer affliction, when we share in the sufferings of Christ, we do so in our relationship with Him, in our salvation. And we're short love from us. Romans 8 reminds us, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now with that said, there is a great encouragement for us in Christ. That by his grace and, and by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and by our efforts to put off sin and put on righteousness by His strength, we can imperfectly grow in kindness and blamelessness and purity. Again, we can think of the fruit of God, the Holy Spirit, in us, and, and to one of, of the, uh, the one of the aspects that mentioned in Galatians five is kindness, but being blameless and pure perfectly will not be achieved this side of glory. Yet we are enabled and are to pursue those things, pursue godliness, pursue godly character and grow in it by the power of the Spirit so that we will be more blameless, not stumbling in our efforts to keep from sin and be pure, be morally upright without stain of sin. We're promised in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In Philippians 1, Paul encourages us to do this in the Lord as we live this life and anticipate Jesus' return on the last day. And I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may be able to approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Uh, because of our relationship uh, with God through Jesus Christ, He is bearing fruit in us. And we are to make the most of His grace in us. And so we're encouraged that He is growing us. And may that spur us on to pursue it even more, that we might more and more glorify Him when He returns. 
As God has worked in our hearts, we know our sin and our selfishness and our rebellion. And yet the Lord does not leave us there. He has changed us, and He continues to change us. In his commentary, Dale Ralph Davis notes that, to, that the Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy 1 and 15. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And yet Paul also writes of himself in likely his last letter in 2 Timothy 4, I have, fought the, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Paul knew of his need of Jesus and of God's grace, but he also knew how the Lord had changed him and grown him and enabled him to glorify the God of his salvation. And so may you and I be encouraged as well as the Lord has changed us and as he has enabled us to glorify him and to grow in actual godliness and to glorify him by his wonderful gifts of grace. And so third and finally, the help the Lord gives in verses 29 through 31. And here we close uh, today's verses with David recognizing ways in which the Lord has helped him over the years by providing guidance and encouragement, uh, the strength to overcome, and the security of sure promises in his word. Again, we'll see how these are fulfilled in Jesus and, and they point us to him. David writes in, in Psalm, or in Psalm, in verse 29, You are my lamp, O Lord. And the Lord illumines my darkness. David certainly experienced dark and discouraging times over his life. Saul tried for years to kill him. He was on the run without a home. Later, uh, there was tragedy in his family. As there was uh, rape and, and murder. There was his own, uh, his own sins and the child that died because of them. And he knew deep grief over sin and, and suffering from the sins of others against him. And yet in the midst of it all, the Lord brought hope. He brought guidance to, to David's life and soul. And so David praises the Lord for being his lamp in the darkness. And this too points us to Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he experienced the wrath of God and the rejection of men. And God brought darkness on the land to demonstrate what Jesus experienced. In Matthew 27 we read, Now from the sixth hour darkness fell on the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus died on the cross, there was deep darkness. And yet three days later, he was raised from the dead. And in him we have the light of eternal life. 
Isaiah 53 says, He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Yet after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. The righteous one, my servant, will make many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Because he rose again, we have the light of life found in him. In Jesus we have our risen Savior, who is light to us in giving us eternal life, and in giving light to all uh, to us through all of the darkness of life, as well as on through into eternity. Jesus says in John 8 and 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this life, uh, we will certainly have times of darkness. And in Jesus, we have a light that never goes out and gives us hope and encouragement through this life and into the next. In verses 30 and 31, we're then reminded of David's victories and assurance in the Lord. This also, again, points us to Jesus and His victory and the victory over our spiritual enemies that we have in Him. David notes how in the Lord he can advance against a troop of enemy soldiers and can leap over a wall. He's enabled, in other words, to have victory and abilities he would not otherwise be able uh, to possess, the things he would be able otherwise to accomplish. And we're pointed here to the greater victory of Jesus over the spiritual forces he faced of, of and that we share in that victory as we belong to Jesus. There are evidence of this scattered all through the New Testament. For instance, James 4 and 7, we're told, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We're told uh, of the saint, or Paul tells the saints in Rome, or uh, in, in Romans 16 and 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And John writes in 1 John 2 and 14, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And in him we are able to accomplish amazing things that would otherwise be beyond us. In Christ, we're told in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. We are reminded that we are able to stand firm against the devil's schemes, as Jesus our King leads us, and equips us, and God the Holy Spirit empowers us. And so let us resist the temptations around us and our sinful inclinations by His power. And He gives us that ability to do things uh, in resisting sin that we otherwise would not be able to do. And then notice in closing the assuring words of verse 31. As for God, His way is blameless. 
The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. These three, three short phrases are powerful and encouraging to us as believers. His way is blameless, we're told. That the word way can also be translated road. And so what's being said here is that the road of the Lord is blameless. It's working out of His perfect plan in His life, in our lives, in the church, and in the world. His way is blameless or perfect. It is a road that leads without fail to its destination. Commentators Kyle and Dillich comment, His providential road is absolutely smooth, free from stumblings and errors, leading straight to the divine goal. And so there's an assurance here in this, in this short phrase that when things in our life or in the world seem confusing or distressing or out of control, that our sovereign God is still in control. And things are playing out according to His plan and purpose. And for His work. As we heard earlier from Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before the present. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As Paul writes as well in Romans 8 and 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And so the way or the road of His providence in your life, in our lives, in the world is flawless, and we can trust that He will bring us to our destination. Next, we're told that the word of the Lord is tested. To smelt or refine. And it refers to the process of smelting gold or silver or some precious metal where it's heated up into a liquid and the impurities rise to the top and are scooped off. As it's used here, we're reminded that God's word is without error. It is fully reliable. And that the Lord perfectly keeps all of His promises. The word of God is true. And it proves to be true in life. And we can live lives secure in all that God says. And all that God promises. In a world full of lies and, and broken promises and disappointments. We have a sure God and a sure word from Him. Psalm 12 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth. You, O Lord, will keep them. 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 says, No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. In Hebrews 6 adds, God has given us both His promise 
and his oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor to the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. Finally, David says, he is a shield from the, the devil in the world around us as we take that safety that his finished work, Jesus' finished work provides for us. We are reminded that we are safe and secure in our salvation and in our eternal lives that we have from Him. As Jesus assures us with a different expression in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He is our shield and our refuge. And He will protect us from all assaults against us. And he will lead us safely through this life and on into the next. And so let us trust in Him and rest in Him. For Jesus Christ is our righteous and trustworthy King and Savior. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you and praise you for this portion of your word and ask that you might apply it to our hearts. We thank you for the ways in which Jesus Christ, our King, is the perfect fulfillment of this portion of your word. Uh, we thank you for his righteousness. We know when we look at uh, our own lives, in David's life, we know that uh, we do not deserve anything other than judgment. And yet, because of Christ, and as we've taken hold of Him, and He has, by His purity, by His perfect obedience, earned uh, and gained a good favor from you. And as we are covered in His righteousness, we, we live our lives in the uh, comfort and in the strength and in the security of His per, her, His perfect life. We pray that uh, Thanksgiving as well, that You are changing us into the image of Christ, and You are growing us, little by little, more, more and more, into what You have declared us to be in Him. And so we thank You and praise You for that. And do we thank You for Jesus Christ, our perfect King, who leads us in righteousness. And we thank you and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.